Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Bruski and I'm the Deputy Director and it's good to be back here at the Battleground Wisconsin and we have our full panel this week, which means Jorna Taylor is here. Jorna is a nonprofit consultant here in Wisconsin. Jorna, welcome. Morning. Morning. And as always, Robert Craig, the Executive Director here at Citizen Action. Robert. Good morning and good afternoon to our radio audience. There you go. As Robert points out, we are the Battleground Wisconsin, and uh, you can find us as a podcast, and we also are happy to uh, appear on a number of radio stations, including 1510 AM here in uh, southeastern Wisconsin, which is also where we record from. And we generally record on Thursday morning, which means we have some big news that broke yesterday around the health care bill. And as everybody knows, health care is a huge issue, and we work extensively here at Citizen Action on Healthcare. And the big news was the CBO score came out for the uh, House healthcare bill. So we're going to talk about that. We will also talk about Trump's budget. We have a lot to talk about on that. Uh, it also impacts healthcare, but a whole bunch of other programs. And Ken Taylor, the executive director of Wisconsin Council on Children and Families, will join us to talk a little bit more about that. We're also going to talk about Walker and the GOP and the conservatives' effort to create a new policy center at the University of Wisconsin. Uh, so we will dive into all those topics and possibly a couple others uh, here on the show, but we're gonna start by talking about the CBO score. So the big headline sticker news was that uh, 23 million Americans will lose their health coverage with this house house bill. Robert, what's uh, what are the top lines on uh, what the CBO found? Well, this is similar to the previous CBO report when it comes to the impact on the number of people uninsured and the fact that it literally creates a flat uh, tax credit system that is horrendous for lower income people, especially older people, so that you have low income seniors looking at having to pay eight, nine, ten thousand more a year just in premiums alone, not including deductibles and co-pays. So that is all similar to before. Uh, what we were really looking for is changes based on the last-minute amendments to the bill that were there to design uh, to appease the Tea Party, also known as the Freedom Caucus. This is the state waivers on health, essential health benefits and on protection for pre, from pre-existing addition discrimination. And what this shows, and this is the big news for Wisconsin, where Governor Walker, right after passage, floored the idea of Wisconsin immediately applying for a waiver. That is, CBO thinks only a sixth of states will actually go for a full waiver. There's a, another group that would do very small waivers. And in those states, it predicts that the individual health insurance market, that is, uh, where people buy insurance on their own who don't have good insurance and are too young for Medicare and, uh, and, and make too much for Medicaid or Badger Care, that it might well collapse. And there would not only be uh, pre, uh, very high premiums for people, especially if they were above average risk, not just pre-existing conditions, just people who might who would be just above average in terms of health risk. Not only would it be more expensive for them, there might be no insurance at all for them to buy at all. So that's literally the draconian, I know Jordan likes to use that word, uh, impact of this law. And it's a particular headline for Wisconsin. It's a problem for Wisconsin. There's no way Illinois or New York or California are applying for these waivers. But under current rule, Wisconsin's a place that, well, our governor was very interested right away in applying for such a waiver. Well, okay, so this is Wisconsin. Everything's a little bit surreal here. It, then explain to me Paul Ryan, right? He's out there 
blasting away saying that this is great. This is great. The, the CBO, it's, it's all found that we're going to have lower premiums, right? Now, I, obviously, these are lower premiums across the board, so it's an average. And you mentioned that there'll be a certain group that will clearly get hammered. But, right, this is the lower premiums for clearly less quality health care. I mean, why? Can, can he actually get away with convincing the public that somehow this is better? Well, it reminds me of his response to the original CBO report uh, on Fox News. He was with Brett Baer, not a flaming progressive, and said it was all wonderful and encouraging. And Brett Baer asked him, well, Mr. Speaker, uh, what would be a discouraging CBO report then if this is an encouraging report? So there's the issue of what is the insurance, right? Is it any good? There's also the fact that, in fact, and this is in 10 years that the reductions occur, that it's assuming that seniors will not be able to afford it and people with health conditions, and therefore uh, rates will go down for younger, healthier people because, guess what, they won't be covering people. So this is like, if you want to brag about this premium decrease, it's based on denying coverage to other people and, and restoring discrimination based on age and based on pre-existing conditions. And you also have to, quite frankly, I know Jordan will have a lot of opinions on Mr. Ryan here, uh, but uh, you, you have to look at the combination of the tax credits and the premium. So just the premium sticker price, if you don't have tax credits to be able to afford it, is completely irrelevant and is sort of like, I don't know, Plessy versus Ferguson, that is separate but equal, but we don't really mean the equal part, uh, which is what, of course, we lived through in Jim Crow. Well, this is also appalling to me no matter what, right? We're talking about 23 million Americans that are going to be uninsured because of this. And I've got to say, I'm no CBO um, analyst here, but I would have to think that that number is going to be actually dramatically higher. When we're talking about, Robert, what you mentioned, how um, young, healthy folks are going to get less for more, which which will be great, Um you know, seniors are going to get nothing for more. <laughs> and, um, you know, folks like me in sort of that <clears throat> middle age, oh, God, I do have a birthday coming up, in that middle age pre-existing category are going to see our premiums increase for either the same coverage or less coverage. So all around, this just seems like a really crappy deal for the American public. Now, it's a really easy soundbite for Speaker Ryan and his cohorts to say, oh, look at us, we're going to lower premiums. But it's really disappointing from a social you know, justice standpoint, right? I thought that our whole purpose was to lift people up and not tear people down and to help folks who need things like, oh, I don't know, health care and quality drinking water and all of these things. So just from a human perspective, you know, these guys are jerks. Well, look, folks, it's very, very important. This is this is functionally now in the Senate. And Senator Ron Johnson has definitely been saying odd things, right, for him in terms of, <laughs> well, you know, odd, in terms of being... Odd odd, define odd, that. Odd, okay, odd, odd in that he's actually been, been saying things like, you know, the House bill won't pass in the Senate, that, that he has issues with it. So what I would suggest is it's showing that this is a gentleman who's received a lot of public pressure, and I think it's absolutely critical that that pressure continue. Now that we have the CBO score, it's very critical that you call... Congressman or uh, Senator Ryan's office, Senator excuse me, Johnson. Johnson's office, excuse me. Don't call up. Ryan's oh, office. Man. Feel free to call Ryan's office too, right? But don't call him Senator. We'll we'll get back to Ryan in a moment. I want to first deal with 
really, quite frankly, making sure people understand that Johnson needs to hear from us over the weekend, right? And and needs to understand that the CBO score basically means that we had very little change in, in, in the House bill. And that first House bill was wildly unpopular. It's part of why it died. And so basically we have a, a CBO score saying it's pretty much the same damn thing, okay? So right. let's... Let's get Johnson, pressure on Johnson, so that we can essentially be this one of the last times we talk about this bill because it's hopefully by next week dead, right? And we're really back to, you know, can the Senate get anything passed, which earlier this week Mitch McConnell expressed deep concern that he even had 50 votes to pass any health care bill. So, Of course, he's probably... It doesn't mean he's not trying like heck or that we should take the foot off the pedal. And That's right. Ron Johnson is part of the working group to develop a plan. I don't think listeners of Battleground Wisconsin believe we can trust him behind closed doors to be fighting uh, for health care affordability for average people. So we need to keep the pressure on him as well. But the thing about Ryan is, and you've got to admire, Jorna, the right, how just no matter what the bad news, <laughs> they, they're completely message discipline. They just repeat and they look un, unruffled and they just say over and over again. So the thing has 17% public support and here he's saying, it's great. This is a great report. It's oh, lowering premiums. Listen, I mean, they are masters of the messaging and I don't, I mean, whether they believe their own hype or not, they come off as though they do and they're talking points. You know, some of their newly elected folks do rough up reporters now and then, but don't worry about that. We can, we can come back to that later. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Robert, you're absolutely correct. And they turn it into sound bites that are so appealing and easily digestible while we progressives and Democrats are like, wait, wait, here are 27 different facts of why they're wrong. Well, I mean, you're hearing things even too like, well, these people... People will now have the freedom, you know, not to have freedom. to buy the health care that they were forced to buy, freedom. right? You know, and they, freedom made free, Matt. Yeah. So I want to remind our listeners, you can contact Senator Ron Johnson at 202-224-5323. Again, 202-224-5323. And, you know, if it's busy, try again later at another time. If they tell you the voicemail's full, try it another time. We need to keep pressure up because what's going to happen here, and I know Robert could speak more to this, is this isn't going to be some big, giant public deliberation that's going to occur in the Senate, right? We know that there are some more moderate, and again, we'll use that in air quotes, uh, Republicans in the Senate. And so they're going to come up with something. And it's going to, when they come up with something, it's going to move possibly very quickly. And so we can't wait to be calling Senator Ron Johnson until that deal is cut when, when it's cut, right? Now is the time to be calling and putting very clear pressure on him about what it is and why it is that we cannot repeal and certainly go to anything remotely close to what uh, the House did here. So please contact Senator Ron Johnson again, 202-224-5323. So with that, though, we're going to take a break, and we'll be right back. So welcome back to the Battleground, Wisconsin. And we are going to, eh, it's not really a switching of gears, uh, talking about uh, the House health care plan, but the uh, big other big news this week and was that Trump's budget 
has come out in all of its clarity. And so we wanted to spend some time diving into Trump's budget because it is, it's actually quite shocking in many areas. And uh, we have our first guest to help us talk a little bit more about what's in Trump's budget. And so our guest is Ken Taylor. He is the executive director at the Wisconsin Council on Children and Families. Ken, thanks for joining us. Great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. So, Ken, tell us a little bit more about why the Wisconsin Council on Children and Families was so quick to respond and get out very publicly about uh, Trump's budget. What do you see as sort of the key things that are most disturbing in this budget, particularly as it impacts here in Wisconsin? Well, I mean, the big thing is that it's, it's essentially backwards of what we need. Um, so what it does is that it makes huge cuts to programs that support children and families. And as a result, you know, our kids are going to be sicker, they're going to be hungrier, and they're going to be more likely to be struggling in school, all of which are going to have really negative long-term impacts as we're trying to work to compete in a 21st century global and knowledge-based economy. And, it, and while they're doing that, they're making the kids pay the tab for uh, special interests who rig the system for their own benefit. Uh, and get huge tax cuts. And so that's why we think it's exactly backwards. Uh, and it adds to the already devastating cuts that, have, that you've just been talking about in the, uh, in the Republican House bill. And so it adds uh, cuts to health care on top of that. And we know that kids who, who have health care, have health insurance, do better both immediately and also over time. And so this is something that has create short-term pain and also has long-term negative implications for, for kids in our state and across the country. Well, Ken, thanks so much for being with us today. Um, I don't understand why you're opposed to this when all of this does, this budget would you know, give tax cuts to all of the rich Republican donors and all of their friends and, and hurt kids and working families and things. I mean, this just seems par for the course with our current administration. Yes. Yeah, so, well, that's why we need to speak out uh, strongly to, to make the case and help people across our state understand what's really going on here. Um, and so making it uh, clear what it means to people in their communities, uh, that this isn't some sort of abstract thing that that affects other people, other places, this level of, of change will, and these cuts will have dramatic impacts. And the other thing that I, it's important for people to know, and this gets a little bit wonky, but that when you change the structure of these programs, this is just the starting point, so that we know when we change the structures like they're proposed, uh, it opens us up for additional cuts going forward. So as an example, as bad as these cuts are, there's another, another type of thing called a social services block grant. That was cut 79% in this budget. Uh, community mental health services cut 22%. And so this just opens the floodgate for future cuts. So as bad as these things are now, they're going to get worse. And so that's something that I think it's really important that people across Wisconsin understand. Uh, and it's, and it's going to affect their loved ones. It's going to affect their communities. It's going to affect them directly. Well, and, you know, Ken, I'm usually the snarky one, so I apologize for just being sort of the offhand comments when this is a very serious issue. But we're talking about, you know, half a million kids here in Wisconsin, right? So that's not 
you know, knowing what the population is of Milwaukee, because Milwaukee always gets the the blame for being, you know, the suck of all of the resources. That that's a statewide impact in our rural communities, in small cities like Green Bay and or mid-sized cities like Green Bay and Eau Claire and all places across the entire state, right? Yeah, no question. So as you said, you know, five hundred thousand kids or two out of five kids in our state, you know, receive their health uh, insurance through through public means, um, and so this will have a dramatic effect on them. It will also there's also huge cuts to services for people with disabilities, uh, for thousands, tens of thousands of senior citizens. Um, so, you know, almost 1.2 million Wisconsinites uh, participate in Medicaid-funded programs in our state. And so the implications are serious. And some of the people at the national level say, well, the states will pick up, pick up the, the slack. That's just, not, uh, that's just not true. And so there will be dramatic cuts. And not just this will create downward pressure on everything at the state level and the local level. So, um, so even for someone who doesn't receive their health care through, uh, through a, a public program, this is going to affect schools. Uh, this is going to affect transportation. This is going to affect everything that the state supports. And so no one is going to be uh, immune or, or held aside from this because these are, these are huge impacts that we're seeing. Uh, you know, just thinking about, about hunger, you know, the, the hundreds of thousands of, of kids who, um, who are less hungry, and this is not a, this is not a, a program that you can eat um, uh, fancy food on. You know, it's, it's roughly $5 a day that people receive through the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program. Kids are going to be hungrier. And the long-term implications of kids being hungry as far as their ability to learn and all those sorts of things we know very well. And the other thing that I think is important is that people sometimes say, well, yeah, well, we have a strong nonprofit sector. We have all these great charities. They'll step in. And that's also not true. Um, they do great work, and we have to support them and celebrate what they're able to do. But, for example, in nutrition assistance, 19 out of 20 bags that are sh- of food that are shared come through federal nutrition programs. Charity provides one out of 20. And so we need to celebrate what charity does, no question. But the idea that they can fill in these gaps uh, is just not true, and the pain is going to be real. So, Ken, let's just start with the kids, right? I mean, you mentioned a lot of other people who will be impacted. But when you have half a million kids that are, that uh, get their health care through Medicaid and 250,000 kids who, who get food assistance. That's a, that's a tremendous magnitude of people, uh, but it suggests that in an economy that's increasingly unequal and doesn't provide enough family-supporting jobs, and most of the job growth is in poverty-wage job areas, that if we, the people through our democracy, don't do this, it doesn't happen. 
and that the kind of things you're talking about, like charities will take care of it or people will redouble their efforts and somehow this is because people aren't, aren't trying enough to get good jobs um, is, is absurd. That this is literally, and this is, this is the defense mechanisms that supporters, I'm sure, will put up. Uh, but in fact, literally, if we don't do this in the current economy until we restructure the economy, kids will go hungry, kids will go without health care, just focusing on the, the kids piece right now. There's, um, there's no question that that's true. That should be enough of a motivation, right, for any of us. You know, clearly, that that's not okay. That's not the right thing. Um, and so we should do the right thing, and our kids shouldn't be hungry, and our, our kids should have access to high-quality health care. But it's also incredibly short-sighted economically. Um, and so even if we didn't care about the kids specifically, even if we only cared about economic development and economic growth, we would still not do what's being proposed because it is very short-sighted from an economic perspective. And so these are, these are large, uh, large systems issues, and the economy is not something that just happens. It is man-made. We can affect it, um, and we can create conditions where it's more likely for more people to have family-supporting jobs, and we have to choose to do that. And we're choosing the exact opposite. We want to thank you, Ken, for taking the time today to enlighten us a little bit on what's in the Trump budget. Um, let our listeners know where they can find you. And uh, for our listeners who maybe are less familiar with you, you guys do outstanding research and, you know, in real time in terms of on, uh, on public policy of great importance. But uh, Right. Well, that's a, thanks so much for uh, asking, Matt. So we are located at WCCF, that's WalterCharlieCharlieFrank.org. Um, and we also have uh, a couple projects uh, within the WCCF umbrella that folks would be, uh, could be interested in. And, and the one that's most directly applicable to what we were talking about today is called the Wisconsin Budget Project. And you can get to their analysis through our website and then also within, within our uh, organization is a, an, another project called Race to Equity, and that's all about racial equity. And we didn't talk a lot about that here, but the, the, the racial disparity implications and the implications for, for rural kids all over the state of these, it's gonna, all these things are going to be disproportionately impacting rural kids and kids of color. Uh, and so that's important for people to understand. We need a groundswell, not just of folks like me, but folks all over the state saying, you know, this is not the Wisconsin or America uh, that we want to see. Well, Ken, we got to run. We thank, thank you very much and appreciate you taking the time to join us today. And, and, right. and thanks a lot. Thanks for inviting me. All right. Excellent. Better news to share. All right. Okay. Thanks. So welcome back to the Battleground, Wisconsin. Obviously, we want to, again, thank Ken Taylor from Wisconsin Council on Children and Families for joining and talking a little bit more about the Trump budget. So the Trump budget obviously had some really bad Medicaid uh, details in it, massive cuts, essentially adopting the House health care bill. Um, and so, Robert, I don't know if there's much more to say on it, um, but 
over broad, uh, broadly speaking, one one dynamic that does appear to be happening immediately is that this this budget doesn't appear to be going anywhere. It has so many enemies in Congress, uh, Republican enemies. That is, uh, it doesn't. This thing appears to be dead on arrival almost. And Trump may be somewhat taking himself out of the budget process by producing this this. The stinker, this, <laughs> this, this, this thing, by the way, just before, before Robert, before I get your comments, like just an example of how ridiculous it is, the farm bill, like the farm aspects of it, massive cuts to, to, uh, in the subsidies to farmers who are, who are hurting right now. And so you have like Republican, uh, Congress people, very conservative Republican Congress people being like, this thing's dead, right? This is awful. This is embarrassing. This is immoral, right? Kind of terms to, to just the, the agricultural aspects. But Robert, your, your thoughts on some of the health care and the Medicaid and uh, the, the, that aspect of the, the, the budget. Well, and just on the rural part, most of the critique there has to do with how rural areas voted, vote Republican and voted for Trump. The progressives should think that the structure of the current farm program is such that it, it you know, quite frankly, it helps agribusiness, and there aren't not sure. small farmers. And and because the federal government has stacked the deck against small farmers, we continue to lose them. So, let's be clear. But Trump doesn't do anything about that. This isn't motivated by any of that. Uh, did Trump run on the idea that we would we would cut every kind of program that helps average people? We'd have massive new tax cuts for the top tenth of 1%, and we'd increase the military by 10%. Like, we don't spend enough on the military already. Uh, we already spend more than all the other countries combined. Well, so, you mentioned run-on, Robert. Medicaid. He ran saying he would not cut Medicaid. Right, and so you have no liberal. Uh, uh, Republican Senator uh, Bill Cassidy from Louisiana saying, I suspect when President Trump said he wouldn't cut Medicaid and that he was going to continue coverage, that maybe the folks who drafted his budget didn't review his campaign contract uh, uh, to the American voter. But this that is, is a Republican from, again. Yes, this is from a Republican, okay? So it is bizarre. We've, we, people wondered whether uh, some of the populist elements of Trump would somehow be translated, but then he put... We had the bill. We have the billionaire cabinet, and uh, it, it appointed more rich people never before. And now he's put people in charge of the budget that want to gut every major social investment we've made in, uh, since the middle of uh, middle of the 20th century to repeal the 20th century in some ways. And it's not just as Ken was pointing out the immediate cuts; it's restructuring of things so the cuts get worse and worse and worse. So it is literally. Uh, this kind of right-wing vision, which is dangerous. It's a dangerously constricted view of government that is inconsistent uh, with the major th values and things that most Americans believe in. And it, it, it's, again, further proof, quite frankly, that, that modern right-wing conservatism is ill-equipped to deal with the major issues of the 21st century and is dangerous. I mean, it's literally dangerous and will kill people. And so on Medicaid, he runs on not cutting it, uh, but now there's massive cuts to it and a restructuring of it. And just to be clear, right, so someone ha is disabled and needs help with Medicaid to, in order to get supportive home care so they can live an independent life, what are they supposed to do? They're be doing something wrong, right? They can't, uh, there, there are limits to how what, much they can earn a living. We've made progress on disability rights. More and more uh, people with disabilities can, can make a living, but it's still a huge issue, particularly given the cost of medical care. And we're just going to throw them off. It, the callousness is just astounding. And, and to get it, the aggregate numbers miss it because they seem so large. You have to almost talk about individual stories and cases and ask, 
are you saying this person somehow did something wrong? This child uh, should go without health care? Uh, this person with disability should not be able to to have the support they need to live a fulfilling and independent life because that's what we're talking about here. Look, we there's so much to talk about in this in this budget that we obviously don't have time. And we have begun to dive into the education components. And um, Secretary DeVos, I got to appear before Congress uh, this uh, I think yesterday. Yeah, right. Uh, just absolutely, uh, you know annihilated because of the the cuts the investment in private voucher schools right and and uh so it there's there's so much to unpack on this i don't know jordan if you have any uh final thoughts before we turn to the state i feel like it's a bleep show because yeah. we can't say you can't say it we're on the radio yeah. anymore oh, no it, but this budget is that and again it's probably pretty much most almost all components likely to be largely you know, maybe, highly contentious. But maybe they released it when he was overseas for a reason. <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty unbelievable. But we want to actually switch gears and go back to our great state of Wisconsin, which we do like to focus on. And we absolutely have to talk about this new conservative policy center that the leading Republicans in our state announced this week. And of course, that means it starts with Governor Walker. Uh, flanked by the legislative leaders. <laughs> flanked. Flanked, yes. And these days, that's a question of whether he's got to keep a, keep an eye on both of those, uh, the way those uh, those relationships are playing out on Twitter. Uh, but nonetheless, um, highly political, very partisan announcement about what's going to be a taxpayer-funded, essentially conservative think tank operating out of the UW system. Man. Matt, here you go with your partisan rhetoric. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm not the one who trotted Matt. out the, you know, the, the three whole... million dollar Madison think tank. <laughs> oh, Matt. So... And by the way, again, Tommy, this will be the Tommy Thompson Research Center. <laughs> we do need to honor him a bit more. Yes, and right. his legacy. He so, is fighting Bob LaFala to modern the, times, right. as he said in his book, by the way. So I'm not even. I have not read that book, Robert, yes. that you have makes me upset. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so let's let's talk about this uh, this think tank for just a minute here. It's going to offset all that liberal bias of the university system. You sound like Voss. I, you know, kind of look. <laughs> but like him it's going to be objective and nonpartisan, and doesn't have an agenda. But it's going to offset all of the, you know, horrible things that liberals are doing to the sifting and winnowing of the great state of Wisconsin. You, you might think that we're being mean, and and and, but we're reading quotes we're from Robin Voss pretty closely here that it will ha not have an agenda, but will counter the left. Yeah, that's like a real thing. And and okay. taxpayers, you're you're on the hook for this right now. Look, this is this is uh, concerning. Extraordinarily concerning. Um, I'm unaware of where you've had uh, basically all partisan, all Republican leadership, political leadership, get up and announce that they're going to create this, create anything like this in a university system, right? I mean, it's one thing to say you can make the argument that there are certain research uh, um, research uh, departments within universities that may have progressive uh, uh, slants to some of their work. They weren't started by the a governor, the legislature, right? Like, this is just completely inappropriate. And what's what I think it underlies here is 
this is very radical in that it shows how much they actually don't believe in sort of facts and science, right. mm -hmm. and everything is propaganda, and it's through a political lens. And the notion that there actually might be some greater truth out there that we as a society ought to struggle for and ought to try to set as the goal, right? You know, back to the uh, UW's uh, mission, the Wisconsin idea, is completely fabricated and that there is no real truth. There is, it is a, it is all propaganda and it is all political and partisan. And it's like, that's actually extraordinarily radical and in many ways not even really, it's not conservative. No, and they probably perceive uh, the way Voss does, the university's uh, professors is biased and left because it's the way they see the world, right? They don't, they don't understand the idea that there's a lot of, there's a huge amount of science behind global warming. It must just be liberals saying it, right? Liberal professors. And, you know, it goes down almost because Voss comes out of student government to student government culture where the young right-wing kids basically decide that, uh, that they have some great grievance and that all of, the, all of these liberals are against them and close their minds because that's what the conservative movement offers them to actually learning about what's going on. Now, are there biases? Are there things we should? That's what sifting reading was all about. So uh, quote-unquote liberal professors make mistakes all the time. The way to deal with that is to have a vibrant academic culture that tests ideas and, and is open, not the state government, Governor Walker and Robin Voss, intervening and creating their own kind of debating thing to, to fight to fight back against facts, basically. Well, just real quick, because I know we have to go to a break soon, but you know, you have a former United Council president uh, sitting here, and back when I was president was when the Southworth uh, lawsuit was going through the courts, and people may remember it. That was about... Tell um, people more about that, yeah. So that was that was about shared governance and um, funding of student organizations on campus and, and basically a, a free speech issue, and, and I got to debate... Mr. Southworth and on the UW Oshkosh campus. And that was quite the, the experience, but you know, look like this is nothing new. It is just a new and more egregious manifestation of how conservatives have been trying to, um, stop free speech on campus and put a spin on it and end dialogue and debate and the sifting and winnowing that is the great University of Wisconsin system. You know, it's just that now we're really going to pay for it with their new publicly funded think tank. Well, we got to get out of here. We're going to we're going to get back. We'll, we're going to talk more about this on the other side. So welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. Uh, Jorna, I really appreciate it before the break, you you know, providing a little insight from your days in, in student government. But I think it's it's actually helpful because anyone who went to the university system or, you know, as you and I also went to UW-Milwaukee, uh, and we were sharing before about our experience, you know, uh, uh, the poli-sci department. Was led by a Republican, right? Like there was a very no, reasonable one. Yeah, right. You know, uh, but but the notion that these guys spin, you know, that somehow these that these are just cesspools of liberal craziness, and of course they always pull the most extreme to try to make it stand in for the whole. But like many of these departments, and even if they're like quote Democrats in there, 
there's a they're very conservative in their sort of general orientation in the university system and how you make it in the university system and the notion that these are some like sort of just plotting political liberal um, vehicles where there is no truth right it's all propaganda which is really kind of what the vision of the world that these guys are spinning is is absurd and and it doesn't even match with anyone's experience even if you think the university system has a liberal bias and this is further politicizing of the university system and one of the greatest things we have for economic growth and for our international prestige in in the world, which is the UW system that we have built. These people did not build. was built by generations of people putting their nickels and dimes together, right? But you have the specter of uh, a, a chancellor, Rebecca Blank, whatever she may actually believe, seeming like she's a hostage on a, on a hostage video, reading uh, prepared remarks back and saying, I love my captors because they're afraid of further giant budget cuts. So at the middle of the budget process, she's rolled out to say this is a wonderful thing and that it reflects all the principles of Tommy Thompson, the Wisconsin idea, and how, how great this is going to be. And it's going to, I like this. <laughs> and maybe you could interpret this, right? She goes, it'll create a closer connection between the university and policymakers. Well, I guess that means oh. that, that oh. I can see that, right? Because they want to do the bidding of Robin Voss and Scott Walker. So you can say that is coded cry for help, maybe. I personally am looking forward to uh, taking intro to Republican Politics 101. In- intro to Robin Voss communications. I want to take voter suppression 101. Ooh, I want to take racial profiling 202. <laughs> no, but here's the thing, though. I, and I was, okay, so I wasn't at the press Sorry, conference. we're being jerks. Oh, yeah. But look, I wasn't at the press conference, but you have Blank saying that, and then you have Voss saying that. I mean, my first question as a reporter is, okay, could the two of you have a conversation about what you mean and what she just said, right? Because you're you're living in two different worlds, what Blank talks about and what Voss was talking about. Please, they don't even square with each other. And I got a good feeling what Voss is talking about is what's going to happen. Look, I mean, I, you know, Matt, you just need to take the graduate level how to keep working families down. <laughs> yeah. uh, so... I want to quickly talk about another state topic related to education. <laughs> state state topic. topic. Not, this, not big tax cuts 101 for right. rich people. Okay. So since we've spent enough We're time talking day, about... <laughs> yeah, you, the, the, they will not be here all week, unfortunately. They've been kicked out. So uh, we, we've spent a lot of time actually talking about what's happening to us in terms of Trump and uh, what uh, what the Republicans are doing. But we wanted to bring up one sort of positive thing that we, we saw this week that we think that the Democrats are doing that is very much worth pointing out uh, in kudos. And that is uh, in joint finance this week, the Democrats are going to push for paid, free, two years of uh, college, essentially, education or tech school. And we think this is great, right? It's very clear. It's very simple. It's, 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 it's very visionary, right? Like in terms of the notion that we ought to be extending college education, right? And what it, because it, it's required now to help uh, compete in the economy, not just a high school education. This helps drive that debate. Uh, and it's not just like little more funding here or there. So I wanted to get your thoughts on it. I thought it was noteworthy. I have many thoughts. Again, you know, having worked for United Council, having led, you know, the the student movement of the University of Wisconsin system um, for a couple of years, 
we used to chant a lot, education is a right, not just for the rich and white. So this, you know, absolutely, I think this is, this is great. Um, you know, perhaps the way to get this passed through the legislature is to include some of those courses that Robert and I were just talking about <laughs> as mandatory. I love the way you tied the, I know, these I'm two good stories together. Good work, Jorna. I don't want to. I don't want to get out too. <laughs> I think we're getting too out front here. I mean, we say that you can't succeed for the most part, except for the skilled trade around a college education, but we still haven't expanded the guarantee of how long you get a free public education. Uh, but maybe we should take a step back and make sure the Tommy G. Thompson Center is fully constituted so we can study this question. Okay. And, uh, Jorna and, has and taken over the show. And then get back to us in 10 years I, or our so. Our listeners, I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let me host one week. Yeah, and, you know, it's no, all downhill but from there. Look, I mean, you sometimes we always say this. That's why we do the podcast every week and do this show is because we sometimes need to laugh and it helps us get through what is, you know, tough times. But, but this is great, yeah. right? I mean, this yep. is something that has been talked about and has actually been implemented in some other states where there is, uh, like, what is it, Georgia, um, Tennessee, Tennessee. You know, other states have had this sort of as, as a successful ones that program. we used to be like ahead of, and now we're behind. Oh, yeah, God. and here in Milwaukee, we know that the uh, MATC really—I uh, forget what the name of it was—but really has been pushing, trying to make guarantees to folks who graduate yeah. uh, out of Milwaukee public schools that they'll make a commitment to two years to them. Uh, this is in line with that. Um, look, this is just the beginning, right? We ought to have free four-year college, right? It's what you need to compete. And it's the kind of thing that would clearly cut against what we're seeing from the other side, uh, as you just see costs go out of control. Uh, so we like this, and uh, a, a good shout out to the Democrats for uh, push, pushing something that hopefully next year will help them significantly. Imagine if we had free college, we had universal health care. We had subsidies for child care and all sorts of other things to help people get ahead. What kind of, what kind of world would that be, Matt? Sounds very good, Jorna. It's it like sounds... a John Lennon song. Oh, there you go. Imagine. Yes, yes. So uh, I don't know. Any other thoughts, Robert, that you have on, uh, on this? Because otherwise, I, there's one other topic I wanted to get uh, folks thought on. It, it, it is an example of the clear and simple and bold policies Democrats need to advance and run on. Truth. Hashtag truth. As opposed to these complicated half measures that the public never gets behind because we barely understand them, right? right? Yeah, so I, I hope this is a key plank in, in their uh, 2018 uh, election plan. So sh good job, folks. Uh, on, again, on the negative side, though, we, we must point out... Um, Joint finance today, as we record on, on, on Thursday, is taking up the uh, welfare reform, deform, uh, bills of Walker, which we have talked about significantly, that are essentially criminalizing uh, poverty by forcing uh, folks to take drug tests. Um, and there's a whole bunch of other Only people on Patrick Care and food shares, yeah. not state legislators, for example, or companies taking money at WEDEC. Yes. Can we can we talk about one other budget thing that's Absolutely, going on? Yeah. So the um the fact that Walker is getting trying to get rid of the forestry property tax that you know is going to affect hunting and fishing, um, and that's not just folks sitting here in Milwaukee. This is he's backfilled it for this biennium um, with other funds, but 
it's kind of like what he did to the state parks, right? It's we defund them and then we see how much our state parks are struggling. So now we're going to see all of these other public lands really struggling. And, you know, this is kind of the Scott Walker MO, right? We start to defund things. And the next thing you know, a boy is walking down the street and a piece of concrete falls on him and kills him. Wait, that was really Ooh, not nice. I but. do remember that. <laughs> I do remember that. What I li- don't like, when what I say like, I, like. I mean don't like. Uh, in in the wealth in the proposal on on uh, public benefits is the work requirement for food shares says that the parents will lose benefits first offense a month second uh, offense two months but the kids won't so I'm sure that the parents will simply go hungry and it won't come out of the kids share at all yeah, I mean that's literally because they didn't find work when they're when we literally have huge areas of the state, rural areas and urban areas, where there are no family-supporting jobs available for people, right, period. We have a huge spatial mismatch between the jobs, which are low-wage jobs mostly, and people who need them, but we're going to punish them now, and we're going to assume that the, the parents go hungry and the kids don't. That's right. So, folks, when you hear all that great news this week about how the unemployment rate is at a, uh, what, a 17-year low, well, most of those jobs... That's where they're pushing these folks. These are not jobs that you can support a family on. But with that, we got to wrap up this Battleground Wisconsin podcast. We want to thank our producer, Brian Wildridge. He's the best. Makes it happen every week. And, of course, thanks to Ken Taylor, Executive He's Director. also the best. Wisconsin Council on Children and Families for coming in and talking with us. Yeah. And, uh, as always, want to thank the panelists uh, for being here. And, We're and the best. for Jorna filling in when I'm gone and I cannot be here. So with that, we'll see you all next week here at the Battleground Wisconsin.